T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to the Wednesday evening edition of At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening until 10 o'clock. Hey, thanks for staying up with us. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. As always, uh, if we're not in the middle of an interview, phone lines are always open. 314-436-7900. Call or text. Also, I need to mention, boy, this past week, I think I, I didn't even count, but I received uh, dozens of emails from listeners over the past week, uh, some just commenting on the show, some with legal questions, whatever it is, I love feedback from the audience. Love it. That's the great thing about Camel X. We're broadcasting uh, just by AM in 44 states and sometimes in three different countries. I know we go into Canada, and sometimes, depending on the atmospheric conditions, we can go into Mexico. Uh, and, of course, listening online globally. But I get emails from folks all over the place, and I thoroughly enjoy feedback from listeners. So if you ever want to shoot me an email, my email address is beyoung, B-Y-O-U-N-G, at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S, as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L. That's the name of my law firm, Harris, Dow, Fisher, and Young. And uh, always enjoy feedback from listeners. Uh, also, I wanted to mention that uh, today is Cato Kalin's 63rd birthday. Now, I know a lot of people uh, who, if you're under the age of basically 40-something, you're going you're gonna to say, I don't even know who Cato Kalin is. Well, if you go back to 1994, he was the dude that was living in the guest house at O.J. Simpson's place at the time uh, O.J. killed his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson. So he was a minor celebrity for a short period of time uh, and then kind of uh, devolved into nothing. But he's 63 today and uh, happy birthday to Cato Kalen. Hey, uh, one thing I want to do is we've already got a phone call. I'm going to go to that. Hey, Jim, welcome to Camel X. Brad, hey, good to hear you. Jim, great to talk to you. Thanks for taking my call. I want to say something because I think this is kind of, from what I hear, this is getting swept under the rug. Uh, by my estimates, since since Brandon took office, prices are <laughs> up 
uh, here, you know, 5% since last month, 5%, you know, but to me, the way I can tell, things are up about 123%. And I'll say this too, that this is going to be, this is be getting glossed over. Uh, the, there are nine, there, there's a bunch of leases on land that people could go and drill for oil. But the reason, I mean, I don't know why exactly they're not doing it, but Brandon announced early in his uh, presidency that we were going to be completely off of fossil fuels by 2030, maybe something. Well, he made a so, lot of promises. I mean, so, well, well the, I mean, if I was in that business, I wouldn't want to be investing anymore in sure. uh, uh in, in pumping more oil and refining more oil. So to me, that's why the price and, and the price of fuel ca- rises the price of everything else. So to me, that's why the price of everything else is up. So, uh, you know, uh, and, and they're way up. They're not, it's not 5%. It's way, way, way up. And, uh, you know, I'm upset about it, but I'm not the only one, but I just, I don't, I don't like that. It's that nobody's coming out and saying exactly why. And I think that's why. Well, you know why I mean, it's no, it's no shock, Jim. I mean, the last several days you've heard president Biden himself say that gasoline prices are up only because of Russia. Now you and I both know that that's malarkey. All right. They were going up every single month of the Biden administration long before Russia even thought about uh, in, invading Ukraine. So this is not a Russian invasion problem. This is the Democrats' failure to understand supply and demand economics. They don't understand it. And, and what's also, it's, it's hypocrisy on parade here, Jim, because Biden allegedly has called Venezuela to try to buy fuel from, buy oil from Venezuela, uh, yeah. a socialist dictator, and he's contacted, he called the Saudi Arabia. They wouldn't even take his call yesterday and today about pumping more oil. So when I say hypocrisy, really, he just doesn't want to pump more oil in the United States because it's bad for the Democrat agenda. Okay, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that they wouldn't take his call, but I did hear that Widely someone... publicized. Widely, he tried to call, he tried to call uh, which of the sheiks, I can't remember his name, uh, in Saudi Arabia, and they would not even speak to him because Saudi well, Arabia is upset with, with Biden for numerous reasons. But, well, you know, that's I bad when you don't news. take the president's call. What's your good that? news, Jim? Well, I, I I don't know what uh, news agency is reporting this, but one of the news agencies is reporting that someone in OPEC is going to make somewhat of an effort to uh, produce more oil. Now, I don't I don't think it's because because of what you said. I don't think it's because of anything that he that he said. But uh, it, no, but I have. It's it's very and again, there's a really easy answer to that question, Jim. That is when oil is at 130 bucks a barrel. Of course, you're going to make more of it. Because you're you're making it costs. I read before that it costs Saudi Arabia about twenty bucks to pull a barrel of oil out of the ground. So every time it goes up, they should be producing more because they're making more money. Hey, we're we're coming up on a break here, Jim. I've got to let you go, but as always, thanks for calling in. Adios. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, Jim. Hey, when we come back from this break, speaking of the war, we're going to talk to an author who's going to break down for us the connection between China and Russia when it comes to the Ukraine situation. Brad Young at your service on Camo X. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to At Your Service on X. Brad Young in with you this evening. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about the war in Russia and I wanted to reach out to an expert on China to learn about how the connections between China and Russia could impact both the Ukraine situation and even Taiwan, and also to talk about the Supreme Court case. You've heard me talk about it a lot here on Camo X, where the Supreme Court's going to talk about the Harvard case, where they deliberately discriminated against Asians and somehow think that's okay. So I want to welcome uh, Kenny Shu. He's the author of An Inconvenient Minority, the Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny is also a writer for The Federalist, The Washington Examiner. I read both, and The Daily Signal, which I read every single day. Kenny, welcome to KMOX St. Louis. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and I also watch a lot of your uh, videos on YouTube as well. So you uh, you have a lot of content out there, and people need to check out what you're saying. Um, thank you. I do want to talk about the Harvard case, but first I want to discuss the war in Ukraine because we're seeing some uh, some information coming out now just about daily about how China is supporting Russia. How do you see China supporting Russia in the Ukraine war? It's an uneasy alliance, right? On one hand, China and Russia are ideological uh, allies, right? They both believe in a strong authoritarian state. They both have remnants of the Communist Party left. They understand each other. She understands Putin. Putin understands Xi. On the other hand, if China gets too close to Russia, they risk losing moral legitimacy. And I would argue moral legitimacy is as important, if not more important, than it was even during in Europe in the Middle Ages. Why? Because we live in such a globalized world now that if you – if you appear like you are the aggressor, you know, you might risk backlash. And now people have the access to social media. You see Zelensky using that yes. uh, for his benefit. Effectively. You know, you can you can uh, very effectively, you know, you, if you lose the moral ground, you can incite other nations against you. And China definitely wants to dominate the global sphere. They want to get Africa. They want to make inroads in South America as well. So they have to be very careful with their partnership with Russia. And, and what's interesting, I think, Kenny, in, in the United States— particularly for folks who are just casual observers of the news, they see China and Russia as being allies, sometimes like we are with uh, with Britain or we are with Australia. But even though both China and Russia may be both uh, authoritarian systems, uh, but for, I think, their hatred of the West and the Un- United States in particular, uh, this is an uneasy alliance. I think that's the phrase you used a few minutes ago. Exactly. No, there's, don't don't mistake China and Russia as married partners yet. They're flirting. That's what they are. <laughs> you know, 
that's that's I mean that's what it is because you need to understand like Russia's invasion of Ukraine is also a signal of of, of America and America's ability to lead. If America say you know China also has designs in Taiwan, right? So if America tries to do something in Ukraine and they mess up and they lose leadership of the Western world. Um, then China is going to get increasingly emboldened because they see the scenario with Taiwan as a similar scenario with similar interests. So, but they're mostly playing a wait and see game right now to see what, what is America going to do? If anything, is America going to be capable of leading or do we have Joe Biden? Yeah, exactly. And I want to come back to the Taiwan situation in just a moment, but I read just today and it was widely reported, particularly in Forbes magazine, uh, that Several Chinese government-owned energy companies are now buying an ownership interest position in several of the Russian energy companies. So, obviously, China is always looking to leverage situations to to put them on a stronger, higher, larger platform on the world stage. Is that what is that part of the incentive here of buying into these Russian energy companies? I think so. Now, again. These are state-controlled energy companies, right? Russia suffers the same problem with its state-controlled oil industry that China suffers with all of their state-controlled industries in the sense that Russia can manipulate its industries to whatever advantage Russia feels like they want to give at the moment. So if Russia, right now, again, Russia and China are flirting, um, let's say the relationship doesn't work out, then if China's too heavily invested in Russian oil, and Russia feels like they want to punish China, boom, get rid of your own uh, oil companies, you know, boom, billions of dollars in Chinese investments lost immediately. Just like, by the way, what China does. This is why the yen, the Chinese yen, is never going to be an effective world currency because everybody knows that China manipulates it. Yes, exactly. But one of the things that occurs to me is, even as President Biden announced today, or yesterday, I believe, about uh, we're going to stop buying oil from Russia in order to cut off the revenue that they gain from oil, which is, of course, their main source of revenue. If Russia now starts selling oil to China that was coming to the United States and elsewhere in the world, that's it's effectively going to negate any, any uh, benefit that we would have received on the global stage from reducing the purchasing of Russian oil. Well, this is why I've always been very clear, both with my book, An Inconvenient Minority, um, and in some of my other advocacy, that America needs to get energy independence and fast yes. and stat. Like, and you stop, you rely, are you really relying on Putin for your oil, Saudi Arabia, OPEC for your oil? No. You have all of these vast reserves in the United States and Alaska. You have these vast reserves in Canada as well um, for the sake of preserving the economic engine of the free world, I suggest we invest in that. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason that we don't is because of politics and pandering to the progressive left. Right. Exactly. Um, Because for some reason, you know, uh, global warming is a huge global threat, but only America uh, has to worry, has to actually pay the cost of it. You know, the Paris climate, climate accords, um, the United States had signed with China. The United States had to cut emissions targets uh, like by a substantial amount by 2030. China didn't have any of that principle embedded in their clause. Um, so this is what happens when we treat China like a developing country. China's not. China is a competitor. 
Um, they're, they're, they have an advanced system of government right now. If uh, we abandon our meritocracy, as I argue in my book, an inconvenient minority discriminating against the people that are excellent, um, then we will could suffer the same fate in the 21st century that China did in the Cultural Revolution. Exactly. Uh, and la- the last question about the war, and then I want to switch to talking about the Harvard case at the Supreme Court. Uh, Russia clearly, clearly underestimated the resilience of the Ukrainian people. Uh, Russia and, and Putin in particular just misunderstood the difficulties of mounting a joint domain military attack uh, involving both ground and air forces. And he also underestimated, I think, the world's unified response to such an attack. And as I'm as I'm looking at those three things, Kenny, it occurs to me all three could also apply to China as they're eyeing Taiwan. Do you think that the situation and the response to the Ukraine invasion uh, is good for Taiwan or is it bad for Taiwan? Again, it really depends on the United States, um, on the United States response. If we bungle the response, then it's good for, it's bad for Taiwan because it's, it's going to be good for China. It's going to embolden China. Um, so with regards to the Russian attack on Ukraine, they definitely underestimated Ukraine's resilience. But you need to understand, too, that, you know, Vladimir Putin, as he argued in his own autobiography, he just he wants Russia to be a power on par with America and China competing for the global world order. In some sense, he's raised awareness of the world to Russia's own power. And he's gotten attention for himself. It's almost like he's I'm not saying it's a PR stunt because it's not. But there are multiple purposes towards his war. And so um so you have to understand that his mind is thinking more than just conquering territory. We're we're talking to Kenny Shu. He's the uh, the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny, uh, we've come up on a break here. Can you hold on through the break? Because I really want your take on uh, the current case at the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court decided to take, the Harvard discrimination case. If you can stick around for just a few more minutes, I'd like to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay, fantastic. Kenny Shu will be joining us right after the break at your service on X. We're back with Kenny Shu. He is the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Uh, Kenny, I wanted to, to pivot a little bit, and thanks so much for hanging with us through the break, because I wanted to pivot over uh, to the Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. This is a case that I followed since the trial court decision in 2019, and I'm thrilled that the Supreme Court is going to take this case. Give us a general idea about this case and why it's important. Well, I'm thrilled, too, and uh, I'll tell you why. Because... What we have right now is an ideology that is anti-meritocracy. It is called wokeness, critical race theory, whatever you want to call it. It prioritizes treating people on the basis of their background rather than merit. Now, this ideology stems from the way that college admissions have been using race for many years. Uh, Harvard uses race in their admissions process. You might say, oh, well, they're doing it to help minorities. Well, they're doing it to help some minorities. They're doing it to give black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and a, an unmerited advantage in the admissions process. However, 
They also, in order to do that, they have to cut off somebody. Yes. So who do they cut off? They cut off the one group that they think is overrepresented at, at Harvard, uh, Asian Americans, who have to score 440 points higher on the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black person. This is discrimination, and it's discrimination on the basis of race. It's actually racial profiling. Um, but this is allowed by the court because of this arbitrary diversity ideology, despite the fact that Asians are some of the most diverse people in the entire world. Um, so uh, this case being argued before the Supreme Court is the subject of my book, An Inconvenient Minority. I think it's really important for everyone to follow for the future of what happens to our country. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, the Supreme Court is revisiting this issue that they first visited back in 2003. I believe it was called Grutter versus Bollinger. In that case, the Supreme Court held it was okay for universities to use race as one of many considerations and a factor for admissions. But now we see colleges and universities across this country, including Harvard, including the University of North Carolina, that is ba- they're basically saying it's okay to discriminate against some minorities like Asians, but it's not okay to discriminate uh, against other minorities. Wouldn't a better way on this, Kenny, would be just to ignore race entirely and just base our decisions on merit? Yeah, you would think, right? You would think. Um, and this, but remember, um, the, uh, the initial justification for racial preferences was to basically help black Americans who needed the help. Um, who needed the leg up. You know, they've been mistreated by society and everything like that. Um, by the way, none of those facts are under argument for me. I totally acknowledge that. Um, however, the recent data has shown that you're not actually helping these black Americans largely. Besides the name, you're giving them a nice name to coast off of. But in terms of education, black Americans who get put into math programs in which they're not competitively qualified mm, exactly. for they get in because of affirmative action, actually tend to do worse. They graduate at lower rates. They have There's discipline issues. There's graduation issues that go on there, um, bottom of the class. Um, and you're also discriminating against another minority. You're discriminating against those who worked really, really hard, um, studied, worked their butts off, performed on the test, um, did everything that they could to get into these colleges, and you're discriminating against them for no other reason for nothing, for something they can't change about themselves. So I'd like to see this race-based policy um, dead in the water. Yeah, I would too. And, and you already mentioned one side of the downside for for blacks or, or for Latinos or any other groups. Not only are those uh, maybe admitted into a college that they're not really qualified for and you're setting them up for failure, but the flip side, I think, is also something that's rarely discussed, Kenny, and that is for those who exceed, for those who excel – now they're being labeled with, you're only here because of a quota. And Thomas Sowell made the point many times that when black Americans achieve in a, in a, in a society that has quotas, those achievements are discounted because the society says you're only here because of your race. And we're seeing that playing out right now at the Supreme Court level. I mean, Katanji Jackson-Brown, by all measures, is ideologically left. But she's credentialed, she's qualified, but there should be an asterisk next to her name if she makes it to the Supreme Court because President Biden said, I'm only going to be looking at the most qualified black women. So she wasn't the most qualified candidate, perhaps. She may have just been the most qualified black woman, which reduces and marginalizes 
any success that she may be due and owed. I, I, that, I believe that's true. Um, the, other, the other problem that the left always likes to say is the term qualified, right? Um, they say, oh, these people are qualified. As long as somebody's qualified for Harvard or somebody's qualified for a Supreme Court position, they should, they should get it. This is like saying, as long as somebody, uh, as long as somebody runs faster than a seven-minute mile, they should be put on the uh, on the Olympic team, on the Olympic mile team. That that's what you're basically saying. You don't just want somebody who's qualified. You want the best. You want the best person, the most excellent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harvard is supposed to be a place for the best, the most excellent people. And it has stopped becoming that. It has become a place where people jockey for spots based on things that have nothing to do with their merit, based on their race, based on their legacy status, based on their family, based on how much money their daddy gave to Harvard. Um, and uh, that's, that's unfortunately what, what this once prestigious college, truly prestigious college, is corroding into. Well, you deal with a lot of these issues. Of course, we're talking to Kenny Shu, the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Don't you deal with a lot of these issues like what we're talking about right here with Harvard? Aren't these covered in your book? <laughs> Absolutely. And readers can get a copy wherever books are sold. In fact, it was an Amazon bestseller. Uh, it's been on it's everywhere on, on Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, IndieBound, everything like that. Um, this an inconvenient minority is is really about the larger consequences of of what happens when we ignore our culture of excellence in the name of this woke uh, racial equity. Yeah, and you're also, of course, a writer at the Federalist and the Washington Examiner, the Daily Signal, which I read every single day. I don't know when you sleep, but I appreciate your work. I follow your work online, and hopefully, we'll have a chance to talk again soon. Absolutely, we will. Thanks for joining us here on KMOX. Appreciate it, Kenny. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that I was talking about here with with Kenny Shu, and I, I wanted to mention this just to demonstrate the truth of what Kenny was telling you, is that if you look up the decision from the trial judge in the Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard, the trial judge in, tw- in I think it was in October of 2019, here's what the judge wrote in the ruling holding in uh, against ruling against the plaintiffs and holding in favor of Harvard the judge ruled that the Harvard college admissions policies do not unduly discriminate now unduly is the key word here do not unduly discriminate against asian americans the reason why i bring that up is because the judge found as a matter of law that Harvard did discriminate against Asians. Did. The judge just qualified it as saying, well, it wasn't an unduly discrimination. So why is it that for our liberal court system, why is it for academia, why is it okay to say discrimination is fine? We're all in favor of discrimination as long as we're discriminating against the right people. As long as we're discriminating against certain groups of people, discrimination is fine. Shouldn't we as a society, instead of taking that position, shouldn't we really be taking the position that discrimination in any form is wrong? 
Why can't we take that position as a society, whether it's in academia, whether it's in our courts, whether it's in making appointments to the Supreme Court? Why can't we do it based on merit? But we have to do it based on color. I I got into a debate with a proponent of critical race theory a few weeks ago, and they were trying to cloud the issue. And really what I did was I just brought it back to a very simple concept of critical race theory, that they are in favor of discrimination. They just want to make sure they discriminate against some persons and groups, not other persons and groups. So when I put it that way, it was funny. The person I was discussing this with paused for a moment and said, yeah, you're kind of right on that. We are in favor of discrimination. And it seems like in the 21st century, we should be against discrimination based on color. But CRT is not. They're in favor of discrimination based on color as long as you're not the right color or as long as you're the wrong color, it's okay to discriminate against you. And I don't see how that's fair. I don't see how that's moral. And I particularly don't see how that's even legal. That's why I was cheering when the Supreme Court, I even said right here on At Your Service many times, the Supreme Court should and must take this case because the Court of Appeals held in favor of Harvard. And I'm sure that the reputation of Harvard had something to do with it, uh, that judges don't want to rule against Harvard because Harvard is so revered and and uh, distinguished and prestigious. But they're discriminating against Asian Americans, and the court was okay with it. Folks, that's just wrong. And I'm glad that the Supreme Court is going to take this up. And the and we you can always read into what the court wants to do with a case. And let me give you just a little bit of inside baseball on how the Supreme Court picks cases. You only have to have four justices issue what's called certiari, or cert for short. And so if you have four justices that want to hear a case, that's all it takes for the entire court to hear it. But in doing so, if a majority is okay with the lower court decision, in many instances, certainly not all, perhaps most, but by a slim margin, the court only takes the case if they want to reverse what the lower courts have done. In other words, if the lower courts reach the decision that the majority on the Supreme Court thinks is okay, then at that point, there's no need for the Supreme Court to take the case. So when you look at this and say the Court of Appeals, in my opinion, in my legal opinion, got this wrong, not only wrong, but badly wrong, in ruling that discrimination on basis of race is okay, only because it's only against Asian Americans, and it's okay to discriminate against them. That was essentially what the court said. So by the Supreme Court taking that case, that already tells us that there's an inclination by at least four justices, at least four, that want to overturn and reverse that decision. So we'll get a decision on that case before June, and you can be, uh, you can rest assured that I will be following that case very closely. At your service, we're going to come up on a break here. After the break, we've got more news of the day, and your calls and texts. I've gotten lots of texts on the on the uh, on the text line. Thank you very much. One person texted in and said, "All of this stems from a poor and misinterpretation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964." 
That's there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that comment. 314-436-7900. At your service on Camo X. If you've ever looked up there every day it's National Something Day. And and some of them I agree with. Like I always celebrate, I always celebrate National Donut Day. Always. Uh, you know, there's no better day to celebrate. I also celebrate uh, National Talk Like a Pirate Day, all right, because it gives you an opportunity to tell really corny jokes like uh, 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 where do pirates go on vacation? Orlando. Okay, so you get to do that on National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Uh, so today is National Get Over It Day, which until today, I, I've never heard of that. National Get Over It Day. And the idea is, is that you can tell folks to get over something. Get over it. And today's the day that you'd say that. So I wanted to bring on Matt Pajeski, board operator extraordinaire. And uh, Matt, is, since in, in light of today being National Get Over It Day, whom would you like to say get over it? Oh, what, it what issue, what person, what issue, what idea? Yeah, well, I'm not coming up with anything new here. This is nothing uh, new, but I think people just need to get over social media and thinking that someone's tweets are the say-all be-all. This is who that person is, especially when they've tweeted something from from 10 years ago. Uh, I'm a big consumer of comedy podcasts, Mm -hmm. and a lot of comedians have have, have been canceled, you know, at cancel culture. Again, it's nothing new here, but I I just don't get it. And it's generally a lot of, like, people my age, like, be young, have fun. Like, why are you spending so much time getting angry? Like, just get over it. It's just Twitter. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, some of these people who have been canceled maybe have been for the right reasons, you know. I, I don't know. Um, but just get over get over that and get over yourself is what I would, what I would end with. Exactly. And it, that kind of leads into mine. My, mine would be get over being offended. So that's... Yeah. That's not too far from yours uh, because everyone's offended today. If you say anything wrong, if you take a wrong position, we've got people being fired because they have the wrong beliefs. They say the wrong things. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a law professor at George Washington University. Uh, his name is Ilya Shapiro. And he said the wrong thing on the wrong side of the culture war. And now he's getting going to be fired as a law professor. Uh, the same thing happened to William Jacobson at Cornell Law School, where he tried. They tried to get him fired, and he he still hung on because he'd been there for over twenty years. Uh, but yeah, my my question to those folks, and this is the questions that I always raise whenever I'm telling someone, in essence, to get over it. I, my point to them is, do you somehow show me in the Constitution where you have a right not to be offended? We have a right to to be unoffended in anything that you say or hear. And that right doesn't exist. Nowhere does that right exist. Or a right not to hear anything which that you disagree with. And yet now today, apparently, uh, you know, the, the ears of folks who are in their uh, uh, early 20s, your present company excluded, uh, but, the, but the age group of folks in their 20s, that if they hear anything that they don't agree with, suddenly their ears are going to melt like, you know, like lead in a smelter. And so they can't even hear it. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to, you know, I don't want to be unaware of my surroundings and what's what's going on in the news. You know, I, 
generally, and I believe I have a good head on my shoulders, but, you know, like I said, just, you can just go on with your life and you can be ignorant to some of the, some of the social media stuff. A lot of that outrage is fake and is <laughs> over the following day, you know, yeah. it doesn't affect their day-to-day lives. Again, I'm not discounting, you know, major issues, but uh, a lot of that stuff, just get over it. Well, you mentioned social media, and I, I'm I'm proud to say I don't even have a Twitter account. My social media consists of LinkedIn. <laughs> That's about all I have. But uh, but I do read things on social media, and and let me see if you if you've noticed this because just in the last couple of days, the people who a year ago were infectious disease experts are now suddenly foreign policy experts. Yeah, yeah I've heard of that. <laughs> And I've noticed a lot of the people who I went to school with who, I'll be honest, weren't the brightest of students are some of these people. Like, well, that's, that's a, you really weren't interested in social studies and, you know, any of that in, in school. But all of a sudden, that seems to have changed on, on social media. You seem to be really into, uh, into social studies and, uh, you know, like you said, foreign politics. You guys weren't into science in high school, but all of a sudden you're the disease experts. Exactly. Interesting how that works out. <laughs> it is interesting how that works out. Uh, and, and I think I've told you this story before, but it's been a long time since I've told it, so I'll tell it again. But my, my sophomore year in high school, uh, I was talking in class. Have I told you this story before? I don't think so. I was talking in class, sophomore in high school, and the teacher, the bell rang, and I'm still talking. And the teacher said, Brad, were you talking after the bell? And I said, Yes, absolutely I was. And so the professor said, well, Brad, would you like to get up in front of the entire class and talk? And I said, sure. (laughs) And so I was talking about social studies. uh, I was talking about government, foreign policy. I was taking questions from the class. It was great. It was a great uh, it was a great experience for getting into AM talk radio. And the whole, the whole classroom clapped. And oh, gave you yeah, a round, they did. They clapped. Well, they clapped because they, I, since I talked the entire hour, <laughs> we got out of, there was a quiz supposed to be that day, no quiz. And about every five minutes, the teacher said, Brad, are you finished yet? And I said, no, I'm not even close to being finished. Uh, but my point is, is that I wasn't an expert on anything. But suddenly today, uh, everyone has uh, switched from being an infectious disease expert uh, to a foreign policy expert. That's why I wanted to have Kenny Shu on earlier this hour, uh, because he is a person who studies China intently. Uh, he knows China. He writes about China. And uh, he's a guy who w- could bring some expertise to our conversation about how China and Russia are uh, reluctant allies. I think he said they're in the dating phase. They're not yet married. But the one thing that aligns them even more than ideology is that they're aligned to bring down the United States of America. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next hour. Brad Young, at your service, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend four point four hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.